there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about their work and their lives, how they keep it going. Today, my guest is Jim Verraros. He's a singer and he has a new single out, his first music in 12 years. The single's called Take My Bow and it's a total banger. Uh, it would be right at home in a mix of like Carl- Kylie Minogue Tension into Troy Sivan. It's like that kind of fun, sexy, clubby vibe. Jim was first on American Idol in the very first season. He was one of the finalists, the Kelly Clarkson season. Uh, I interviewed him a few years after that. In 2005, he had a, an album called Roller Coaster out, and I got to interview him for that. And uh, he also appeared in some movies like Eating Out 1 and 2. He was the first Idol contestant to come come out as gay. And I remember when I interviewed him, I just was really impressed with who he was and what he was about. And I love the music. I still listen to it. So when I saw on Instagram that he had a new single coming out, I reached out and we made it happen. So it was great to reconnect with Jim and talk about his music and his life. And oh, there's some good idol dish in there. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to let you know that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by the new play, Freud on Cocaine. It's a new comedy by Howard Scora. It's not really an official sponsorship, but I want to get that in. I never have any real sponsors, but I wanted to get a plug in for this really funny and interesting play by my friend Howie Scora. It's currently showing at the Whitefire Theater, and there's a Dennis Anyone connection to this play. See, uh, it stars Jonathan Slavin, who was originally on this podcast earlier this year. Jonathan, you've probably seen in TV shows like Better Off Ted. I think that was one of them. He's been in a ton of things. Anyway, I love Jonathan, and Howie called me. He had his actor fallout uh, a few months ago, and he said, do you know any good actors? And I started going through my old podcast, and I was like, who might be good if there was somebody I interviewed? And I thought about Jonathan. They hooked up. Anyway, Jonathan's in the play. He's terrific in it. They love each other. It's a win-win-win all the way around. So if you're in L.A., go see Freud on Cocaine. It runs through November 4th, and you can learn about it at freudoncocaine.com. All right, that's enough of the plugs. Here now is the interview with Jim Verraros. Joining me now from Chicago, it's singer Jim Verraros. Hey, Jim. Hi. Welcome. Oh my gosh. Hi, Dennis. How are you? The last time we spoke, I interviewed you twice in 2005, and you were rocking the flat iron hair. You were rocking yeah. it so hard. And Why? now, you, I, was, I loved it. I was looking at those pictures, and I'm like, that hair was really cool. Keith Urban's well, still doing it. That's so true. I think it was cool. Here's the thing, though. You have to remember, this was 2005, yes. so we're going back a while, and that was kind of the edgy, cool thing to do, you know? It was awesome. I still, I look at this picture, and I'm like, yes, and you could throw it around when you're singing, but you look very <laughs> handsome now. You have great ears, by the way. I love oh, your ears. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hate them, but thank you. You shouldn't. They're cool. <laughs> I love them. Okay. All right. Well, you have a new single that just dropped. Uh Take My Bow. It's a banger. It's kind of a dirty vibe. Um, You haven't made music in quite a while. What brought you back to to make this record? You know, I think it's a lot of it has to do with timing, number one. But number two is like when I first, you know, after Idol, this was obviously I was on the show back in 2002. So it was the first season. We really didn't have a lot of queer representation. And I was getting approached from out magazine and and the advocate to do the exclusive, like they wanted me to come out. And so, you know, at 19, you're a little like, do I, should I, should I not? And everyone's in your ear telling you to do what they think that you should do. But we didn't have a lot of queer artists back then. And so I think now, you know, we're, we're in a time where we have seen a lot of 
incredible, talented, um, you know, queer artists. And that just sort of inspired me sort of in like a reverse way where, you know, it gave me the, I think the confidence and also the, it felt safe to kind of come back and dip my toe back into it. And I thought, all right, well, the door's really open. So is there room for me, you know, to, to be there? And so that's kind of why I did it. Well, you've got people like Sam Smith and Troy A. Sivan who are like top of the charts. Like it is a different landscape. Back then it was like, yeah, you, it'll feel good for your integrity, but you'll be playing, you know, Kansas City Pride. Totally. And Um, that's exactly what my career was. (laughs) Which is is kind of awesome. You You made that choice. It's better than like, I think better than living a life for sure. But boy, is it a different landscape in terms of. Uh, queer artists in terms of For how sure. well they can do on the charts and so forth. So to put things in perspective, Troy came around 10 years after I came out. So like yeah. it was a very different landscape, even just 10 years ago. So, but again, because of what he's done, the success he's had, Sam Smith, you know, Adam Lambert, even, you know, coming a few seasons after me, but David Archuleta, David Hernandez and all these other idols that sort of just kind of gave me the inspiration to be like, all right, see if there's a little room there, you know? Where did the song come from? Who did you collaborate with? How did you write it or or who yeah. wrote it? Like, uh, tell me about the song, Take My Bow. So it, you know, I worked with this incredible producer. Um, his name is Lave. He worked on, you know, music with Mac Miller and Chance the Rapper. And um, we actually knew each other through uh, a mutual friend. And I had been sort of kicking around the idea of getting back into music. And obviously politically, we were just in such a fucking nightmare, um, just with our community. So like I was struggling, like, do I say something political? Do I take this moment to come back into music and say something that's, you know, very definitive and anthemic and very, you know, politically charged? Or do I just want to make people dance and have fun and feel good? Because we see so much of that negativity as it is. So I right. went back and forth. I didn't want to. I didn't want to fuck it up. You know what I mean? And so I think I just sort of got so in my head about it that I was like, I just think I just want to make something fun right now. And there's going to be a time and a place for that statement later. But I think I just want to bring our community together and just have some fun. Um, so we, he had sent me some tracks based on the sounds that I loved. I said, you know, I loved Toblo. I loved what Dua Lipa was doing. I loved, um, you know, Troy Sivan and, you know, Vincent and, you know, a lot of these, you know, queer artists. And he was like, great. Three tracks were sent to me. He sort of roughed them out and um, landed on one. And then I collaborated with a, a queer songwriter named Jace Green. He's out of Oklahoma City, 23 years old, super young, made me feel like an idiot, like most of the time. Like, he's like, you know, you need like a sped up version because you need something for TikTok. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, TikTok. Um, <laughs> the but again, other day like- I was having a meeting about another business thing of mine and Somebody said, you know, you really got to get a TikTok. And I literally wanted to jump out of a building. Like those are like, I was just like, like oh, not another thing. I know. I can't. I can't. <laughs> like, for me, it's like, oh, I just joined, um, yeah. what's it called? Threads or whatever. Right. And that's like done already. So yeah. I'm like, okay. So when, when somebody asks you, why did Dennis run into ongoing traffic? Because somebody like, said, you, you really need to build up your TikTok. Seriously. I just, I get the appeal. <laughs> it's very like. Yeah, no, insane. I get it gratifying but like you know the whole like dancing and choreography thing like it's cute i get it it's just one more thing so you're like okay anyway yeah. so so the young guy said you got to speed it up you got to get on tiktok right. so do like a sped up version when you release it so you've got your your, your radio edit your just your vocals right so yeah. people can remix it if they want and then just the instrumental and then a sped up version specifically used for tiktok and i was like okay like whatever you well he knows it. what you need that's good true 
So I was um, like, great. So we worked really well together and the song was born. And, you know, I think it is very sort of like an homage to like the past of what I've done, but also feels very current. So, yeah, it feels like something you would hear now on the radio for sure. Why don't we, can we play a little excerpt of it on here yeah. on the podcast? All right, let's you. take a little listen. I've been having nightmares, think I kind of like it. Watch me on your TV, but you think of me in private. I could be your movie, I could be your love scene, baby, if you let me. Oh, I could be your starlet, I could be your harlot. I could be the skeleton you're keeping in your closet. I could be your dirty, dirty little secret, baby, can you keep it? Oh, my skin is thick enough. I don't have to fake it So if you want it, baby Then come fucking take it Cause I'm all yours I'm ready to go I'm a professional I'm giving you a show And I'm sure that I'm ready for you now Lights, camera, action Watch me take a Of your freaky little, freaky little fantasy. I could be your heartthrob hanging on your firewall. I could be it all. I could be it all. I'm on your private browser in a new position. Wanna see me in something a little more explicit? I could be the virus eating up your mind. Share. I could be your cyber love. My skin is thick enough. I don't have to fake it. So if you want it, baby, then come fucking take it. Cause I'm all yours, I'm ready to go. I'm a professional, I'm giving you a show. And I'm sure that I'm ready for you now. Lights, camera, action, watch me take a bite. Cause I'm all yours, I'm ready to go. I'm a professional, I'm giving you a show. And I'm sure that I'm ready for you now. Lights, camera, action, watch me take a bite. Watch me take a, watch me take a bow, yeah. Watch me take a, watch me take a bow, bow. Watch me take a, watch me take a bow, yeah. Watch me take a, watch me take a bow. See, that gives me the feels, man. It makes me want to groove. And it's very yeah. kind of provocative. I think what I wanted to do was something that was, um, had a lot of double entendres in it, right? People yeah. were like, oh, Jim writing a song called Take My Bow. Does that mean like he's done with music? It's like, no, it's really more like, I am owning where I was now. Like I wasn't ready for you then, but like, I'm, I'm ready for you now. Like I'm 40 years old. You know, the jig is up. I've been married twice. So it's not like, you know, I'm coming in from a Disney channel standpoint where I have to be safe and, you know, youthful and angelic. It's like, no, nah, like I, you know, I've been around a bit. So, um, I wanted to do something that was sexy that sort of spoke to like the audience. It was just like, Hey, I can be whoever you want me to be. If you want me to be, you know, whatever, you know, you're turned on by, I can basically play that role. And so, and then it was just like, Hey, I'm ready for you now. And I'm ready to like get back on that stage and, you know, take my bow, you know, do you hope to, to perform and, and do shows? Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, this is in, you know, conjunction with having a full-time job. I'm, yeah. I, you know, I'm a recruiter for an amazing tech company, but you know, yeah, I mean, I would love to, you know, get dancers together and do it, you know, do it the right way. And I think next steps, I think from here would be a video, um, I think a visual is, is helpful for any artist. And, sure. You know, I think we're all very in that zone of, you know, the memes that can be chopped up and taken from that, or it's like, you know, it has so many legs to it to help an artist, you know, kind of carry a song through. Yeah. Um, 
So that would be kind of our next steps. Um, but you know, it's, it's money, baby. It's a lot to, um, you know, juggle when you don't have, you know, the, the sort of the stronghold and support from, you know, a label. So yeah, I'm sure doing it on your own. I get it. Um, you're very fit. So you could do a sexy video. You could give us some skin. Yeah. Yeah, On your Instagram, we see, you know, you're, you're serving it up. Um, Yeah. It's interesting because I know from our previous interviews, you know, you were bullied a lot as a kid. You were heavy, quite heavy for a while. And, and you, what is it like to be 40 and feel confident and, and be in the place that you are? Do you still feel like the kid that you used to be? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the beauty of social media is that you get to connect with an artist directly. Right. The downside of it is that you're constantly comparing yourself to like, you know, the people that show up in your newsfeed, like all of yeah. these ridiculously hot men who live in the gym and you're like, God, I wish I had yeah. that. Well, I'm no so- Maluma. I have to deal with that every day, not being... Seriously, I know. <laughs> so but I just, I feel like as we get older, and I don't know if you feel this, you know, this way too, but I think you do come to a point where I think you start to care a little bit less and less. It's not right. all at once, but it's a journey. And I think all I can do is be in control of my own body. Right. So, right. you know, as now that I've turned 40, I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to work really hard at this. You know, it's like, I've, I have cancer. I'm like, my mom was diagnosed with cancer last year. And so, you know, and she's in remission finally now, but it was a big sort of red flag of you need to start taking care of yourself because my parents never did. So you know, it's, it's not just from a vanity standpoint, but like, you know, I just want to be healthy and be around and be one of those like daddies at 60 who are like, you know, in amazing shape and feel good. But like, I want to take care of myself. You yeah. Know? What's your preferred workout? What do you like to do? I, I think I found for me is that I have to do different things. So I'll do like CrossFit two or three days a week yeah. and I'll lift just traditionally at just, yeah. just weights, and then I'll do cardio like two or two days a week. So I'm very 80, 20. So like 80% of the week, Monday through Friday, I'm incredibly clean. I, you know, weigh certain, you know, amounts of protein and all of that. So very, very regimented on Saturday and Sunday. I am a complete shit show. So that's good. That's the way to be. I, uh, I did CrossFit before the pandemic. I, uh, in my neighborhood and it was actually, I got some results from it, but here's what I, here's the thing about CrossFit that I liked. It's a nightmare and then it's over. Like, totally. right. Like it's awful. Yeah. And then, oh, you're done. Right. Yeah. So that's but you're burning calories the whole day because it was so awful. Yeah. Because it, it was, was so effective. awful. Um, yeah. but the, but also like I'm a, I have a certain age and I'm like, man, lugging that. I don't know. I don't want to injure myself, whatever. Um, but it's a whole thing. But I like when they talk about the, the CrossFit lingo, like, oh yeah, I used to go to this box across town, but now there's a new box opening up. They or call like it. AMRAP. And I'm like, fuck, what is AMRAP? Like, oh yeah, that's right. There I forget I what it is. What is it? Isn't it like, um, uh, I just okay. remember WAD workout of the day. And like, isn't it, or an EMOM every minute on the minute is one. Oh, right. I'm starting to have, uh, flashbacks, uh, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. I am beginning to think that people that do what you do, which is have a regular job, Yep. And then do creative things on the side. I think that was the way to go. <laughs> the longer I, mean, I kick around in the business and like watch things shift and see peers and struggle myself, I'm like, you know what? They had the right idea. You know what? Uh, so how do you feel about the balance in your life in terms of being an artist, being creative, and also, you know, having your job and your husband and your life? 
Well, I think that's just it, is that I need more than to just be a husband. Like, I need more than to just be a tech recruiter. Like, right. I can't just get up and rinse, repeat and do that every day. So for me, it was just like, okay, music is like itching at me. And right. if something was telling me like, hey, you should do this. And, you know, once I communicated this to, you know, my husband, Sean, he was just like, you should do it. Like, wh- what's holding you back? And I'm just like, well, it's... It's expensive, you know, because I don't cheap things out. Like I, if I'm going to do this, just like I did the single, I did the photo shoot. I have the remixes done. I have a great producer. Like I just, I don't fuck around if I'm going to do it, especially right. being out of, out of the, you know, scene for 12 years. Yeah. Um, but it's costly to do. And, and, you know, I think for me, it's just sort of a realization of whatever passions that we have, if it's CrossFit, if it's, if you were a gymnast when you were 15 and want to go to an open gym on the weekends, or if you're a sculptor or painter, any kind of creative outlet, don't let that go. Keep it, even if it's once a month or like yeah. twice a month, make room for it because that brings you joy. So yeah. ever let that go. My friend Barbara Deutsch, who's a career coach, she calls it your pilot light. If you're a creative person, you have that inside you. And totally. if you don't feed it, it's going to just burn you up inside. Like you've got to do something because it doesn't go out. Right. I guess I can go out, but um, you know, I'm stretching that metaphor, but it's that thing. It's interesting. Like you had a life that was probably pretty stable set up, yeah. you know, you had a good job, but you were burning to do something creative or to, to start making music again. Whereas I know other people that are like, when they're all in on that stuff and they're like, fuck, I don't have any retirement. I don't know what right. I'm doing. Like, I don't know who's doing it right. Nobody's doing it right. Right. But I guess you just have to balance the best you can. Right. I don't think, I mean, if anyone's doing it right, if you can support yourself doing something purely creative, I give you a, a fuck ton of credit. That's an right. incredible. Thing. If you can't and you have a nine to five, but you're still able to keep that pilot light burning, right. that's successful. You know, it's like people yes. are like, you know, defining what success means to them. And for many years after Idol, I would look at Kelly and Justin and, and Tamira and all these people were signing deals and signing deals who had a, a lot more exposure yeah. than I did. And, but I worked my ass off, moved to LA, lived in, you know, Encino for, for three years, worked really hard with a great, you know, and wonderful producer, Gabe Lopez, who did my first, you know, two albums. And I made it happen. I got a record deal being ninth on that show, but I had to work really hard for that. So, you know, I think that I started to redefine what success meant. And so I think now I look at people, you know, like, like David Hernandez, who is a good, you know, friend of mine. I mean, he has a nine to five, but he's gorgeous music videos and he's still doing gigs on the weekends and he's able to have it all. And like that to me looks like success, you know? Yeah. I was just in Palm Springs. We did our mismatch game show. And I guess he's doing a show there this Friday at the it's same Dave club. Rodriguez, yes. Right? Yeah. Rodriguez yeah. versus Hernandez, or maybe wow. it's the reverse. Yeah. So yeah, I love the idea. Yeah. I think, I think you just got to do what you love and try to balance it all. And, and cause I think there's, a, a, there used to be a stigma to like, Oh, well, did you know they had to work a day job? Yeah. No shit. Nobody's making any money on anything. Like, I'm not <laughs> you're not in, you're not in the arts for money. I will tell you that. I mean, and well, it used to be a little easier. Like when people were buying physical records, probably yeah, or whatever, like totally. with streaming, it's crazy. Anyway, what was the moment like when you, when you decided, okay, I'm going to get this corporate job? Like, what was that transition like when you kind of, you did the LA thing and you yeah. decided, to, to go back to Chicago. 
Yeah. I mean, it was like I was out of money and my car was repossessed. So that was a part of it. And then, and then the other part of it was, I think that I just got tired of people telling me I needed to be something other than who I was. So I was just done with it. I was like, I literally, I've had many therapy sessions about this, but I literally came out of LA like a slice of Swiss cheese, meaning like there were holes in, in my entire soul because people would take away what I thought was fine to be. And then I would compartmentalize it and put it somewhere else and try to replace that hole with whatever an agent or manager told me I should do. And I just felt empty and I just got tired and I didn't have the support of, you know, a manager or an agent who really like wanted to take me under their wing. I never had that. So, you know, I just, I think I just got exhausted. And then I came home and, you know, I met my first husband um, and he seemed to be very successful. You know, he had this, he had his own business and it was in the wedding industry. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, I can make this my pilot light. Yeah. Right. So I, I can bring I a lot of creativity to something else. Yeah. I sort of own the whole fashion end of it. I would go to New York Bridal Fashion Week twice a year and I really transformed like that part of his company. Yeah. But that marriage started to crumble because it really was more of a partnership and like a business relationship than an actual, I think, you know, lover's relationship. So he was also 17 years older than me. So I met him when I was 22. He was 39. We were together for 11 years. And we're just in different places at that point. Yeah. So, you know, um, and so then, you know, we divorced in 2017 and then uh, like, I was just fucking around on Tinder and I see this like hot guy. Cause I was like, Oh, I need attention because I'm out of a divorce. And am I, are people going to still think I'm pretty, you know? And, <laughs> and I was just being stupid. And, you know, I saw Sean and I was like immediately riddled with like guilt and guilt. Why? Well, because I was just out of my marriage right. and like, I didn't want people to think that that marriage was a sham or like, I didn't care or nobody, there's no blueprint to like getting over like a divorce. Right. You know what I mean, it, you need to figure it out and it's different for everyone, but I just felt guilt. Like, how do I like someone or want to date someone so fast? And then I realized I was also in therapy with my ex-husband for like a year and a half before I filed. So it's not like we didn't try but you get to a point where I think your body physically stays, but you're mentally kind of gone. So, you know, I met him, had with sushi on a rainy night in Chicago. It was very like romance novel, you know? And then I was like, Oh shit, he is not a one night thing at all. It felt weird. Like we had done it before. Like we had been here before. It was very weird. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, was like, okay, let's do this then. And then it was, that was it. Well, there's beautiful pictures on your Instagram of your wedding. Was it a destination yeah. wedding? Where did you guys go? Yeah. We got married in Playa del Carmen. Which is Mexico. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, is it on the water? I don't know where that is. I've heard of it, yeah. obviously. It's 45 minutes from yeah. Cancun. So when you fly in, it's like a good probably 45-minute drive. Um, and so it's like just before Tulum, basically, is like the next stop. Nice. And you probably have all that experience in the wedding business. So you're yeah. like, I know I've got, I can I get got discounts. This. I've got this. Like I got it. We're good. Don't worry yes. about it. I love it. Um, yeah. what does Sean do? If I may ask, he's in healthcare. So he works for like managed care company. So a lot of, um, uh, Medicare, Medicaid. So he basically makes sure that he supervises a team that are all care coordinators. So they yeah. go into like, inpatient homes to make sure the proper care is being given and they fill out, you know, plan of care forms and go through the insurance and all of that. So I haven't talked to people who have gay people have been, who've gotten divorced. 
Yeah. And uh, or, or I know some casually, but I haven't ever, I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone like that. Is there an element to it of like, oh, we finally got this right? Do you feel like you're, do you feel like you have to represent in a way or does it, or is it just the personal relationship and it's like any other relationship? Yeah. I mean, you never plan to divorce. Right. Of course not. Never. Like that's not the plan ever. But I think, you know, I think you just, every person is different. So I can only speak from my perspective, but I think you just get to a point where it's like, you're so unhappy yeah. That there is no other way. There is no other, there's no other way. So I just sort of was like, listen, if people have judgment, if, you know, they want to have a conversation with me, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm very open. So I couldn't think about what other people thought. I couldn't think about his extended family. That was also my family. I just, sure. I needed to just do something that I knew was the best solution for me, you know? Yeah, I get it. And it makes sense. Well, we haven't talked or anything. I wish him well. And, you know, I hope he's happy. And, you know, again, 11 years is a long time. So I like to honor what we did have. That was good. Yeah. Uh, and not speak ill of him, but yeah, I mean, it just, it is what it is. Yeah. Know? Um, I went back and looked at your Instagram and there's some pictures from American Idol. Yeah. There was a group number that you guys are doing in all of the, the, the brown leather, which I remember vividly. I was obsessed yeah. with Idol back in the day. What struck me is how young you all look. You all look so, you look like babies in that picture. Isn't that crazy? It is insane. It's funny because I'll look back at those and I'm like, sometimes I don't even remember. Like, what what did I even, it's almost like it's, because this is 21 years ago. So like, I almost have blocked, I think. It's like foggy in places where I'm like, did we do that? Or like, I'll talk to Christina, who's, you know, she's very close to me now, but We've been close for a long time, but she's, her and I will just like laugh and I'll be like, do you even remember that? She'd be like, no, I don't remember that. Or we'll just laugh at things that we did remember. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I feel like we've aged really well. Well, here's like. the thing that, I, that also, there was a Zoom that, reunion that you guys did. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I saw I, that picture and it reminded me of a class reunions that I've been to where the gay guys <laughs> age the best. The gay guys yeah. age the best. I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't know it, if it's it moisturizer, but it's true. I was like, oh, that, the, <laughs> whether it's a class reunion or the idol reunion, um, do you remember what inspired you to audition in initially? Cause nobody knew what that show was. What did you yeah. see? Was there a flyer somewhere? Nobody well, knew what I it heard, was yet. No, I mean, I heard nothing about it. I actually had a friend of mine who she had heard about the show on the radio. And then she immediately called me and she was like, Hey, I just heard about this show where you could like win a record deal. Like, would you want to do that? And I was like, all right. Like, I was just like, I wasn't, trying to be a pop star at that point. I was majoring in, you know, musical theater at Columbia in Chicago. So that was never the goal. That was never like my dream, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I just like, I was like, Oh, that sounds fun. And then I went to a hotel on Michigan Avenue in Chicago and there was not a single human that was there for the audition. There was no line. There was not a line around the block. There wasn't even like a contestant there. (laughs) I was like, I, I even like walked up to like a producer who had like a head mic on. And I was like, is this where you are having the auditions? Right. Like, am I in the right space? And she was like, Oh yeah, have a seat. We're just waiting for people. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so I did. And then yeah. I think like four guys come in and we all, they got, got us this like very small like room and they had this like very porn camcorder, like on a tripod, like in the back of like the room, there's a piece of duct tape on the floor. They would like, you know, step up to and you'd sing something and then step back and, 
then they interview you like, Hey, tell us about, you know, yourself, what's something that, you know, you think is fun, you know? And I was like, Oh, my parents are deaf. And they were just like lost their minds. And I was like, okay, I see where this is going, you know, but that was just my life. It was just tr- the truth. You right. know, it was just, that's how I grew up. You know, it's not, I didn't think of it as like groundbreaking, but you know, they did. And so. that was part of your audition. You, you, yeah. you sang and you uh, did sign and language Paula, as well. Paula yeah. asked me to sign it. And I was like, God, uh, like, why did you ask me to do this? Like, I was not perfect. My sign was sloppy. I was not prepared. This is not like America's next, you know, sign language interpreter I was going out for, you know? So how did the deaf community react to your signing? Did they, were they like into it or were they like, you know, you missed a few things? I think it was half and half. I think some of it was like, "Mm, he's home sign. He's not American sign language certified. I'm like, fair. That's true. You know, I think a lot of it too, they were like, what great exposure for the community? Because I think most people don't realize that deaf and hard of hearing people also have relationships with music. It's just different. Yeah. So rather than hearing you feeling it, right. It's the vibrations through a baseline and, and through that, like my mother was a professional ballerina and she was, you know, she was deaf. So, you know, it's just a different focus. So I think in a lot of ways it just shed light onto the community, which eventually I think, you know, gave us a movie like Coda, which is beautiful and was very much depicted as my life growing up. So I found it to be very beautiful, actually, you know. When you were in the idol bubble, was there a moment when you realized, oh, this is huge? When did you realize how huge it was? I think it was when I was home and we had to change our phone number um, because my parents kept getting phone calls. And because I have deaf parents, the phones were wired to the lights in the house. So that's how my parents would know that the phone was ringing. So it was just constant lights, like flashing all day long. It was like a disco. Totally. And so obviously like cops would patrol like the, the neighborhood. They were like, wow. do right now. Um, so I think it was that moment where I was like, Oh, this isn't just like a, like a, a cable show, right? Like yeah. a very like tiny little, you know, it was like, Oh wow. People actually now know who I am. And now, Googled me and found where my parents live and what my parents' phone number is. And it was just like getting, you know, mail from like inmates in jail. I was like, wow, I have made it. I'm here. You were getting mail from inmates, male or female? I think, I think male. Yeah. Yeah. And it was sort of romantic in nature or like they were like, like, I'm a fan, like I'm rooting for you. And I'm like, huh. I mean, wow. I love having a crossover appeal. You know what I mean? For sure. I love it. Um, <laughs> I heard an interview recently with Kelly Clarkson, and she said oh, yeah. that she and Justin dated for a hot second, but it yeah. might have been after Idol. I was like, ooh, that feels like a bombshell. Did you know that? I mean, I kind of assumed. Yeah. I didn't. There was one thing that happened that I was like, oh, okay. And I just <sighs> like knew and didn't like say anything. I was just like, I mean, listen, you spend that much time together and you go through something so monumental like that. I mean, who wouldn't? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it makes sense. And you went and saw Kelly's show recently in Vegas, right? Yeah, yeah. So Sean's birthday was on opening night, so I was like, you know what, honey, we need to go. Like, let's be like he had never been to Vegas, so I was like, let's go to Vegas, let's see Kelly, and you know, we'll you know just kind of hang out for a weekend. Um, and so that was really fun. She's amazing. She's. I was just talking about this to, to somebody, and I was just like, you know, twenty-one years, and she is better now than I think she's ever been in her entire life. I just like don't understand how it is humanly possible to be that good forever. She's just, and I think she doesn't get enough credit to be honest, but she's just exceptional. She's just 
my favorite ever. And you know that, and you know her personally. Are you, you, you were, you, you, so you saw both sides, like behind the camera and, and in real life, and you're a, a super fan. I mean, I haven't, I, it's been a couple of years. I went out to Nashville, um, a couple of years ago for a Halloween party that she had. And so she invited me to her home in Nashville when she was with her ex husband at the time. Um, and she, she was lovely and amazing. And, um, and then I actually remember texting her to let her know I was, I was filing for divorce because she had met my ex-husband and she was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then obviously things just, I think things got chaotic for her because she ended up changing her number. And then we just never ended up, you know, texting each other back. But then she had me send like a video into her talk show that first season or second season. And I did like a cute little, like, where are we now update? Um, and she was, you know, kind enough to ask me to be a part of that. So, you know, I mean, I don't always see her in person because I also don't want to be that person that's like, you know, goes to her people and says, Hey, can I see, I just not that guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, no, I, it's tricky to manage. Right. Yeah. And I just don't ever want to make her feel like she has to do anything, you know? So, but I support her cause I love her and would go to see her show anyway. So, yeah, I loved it. And did Sean love it? Was he all about it? Oh yeah. I mean like, well, his, his, everyone's got their girl, right? So Sean's is Madonna. Okay. Has Thank been, you. He, Fair enough. Yeah. Since he was 15 or 14 years old. So, um, and we're seeing her in February. We're supposed to see her before she, you know, rescheduled the celebrations tour. But, um, no, I mean, he appreciates her for who she is. Yeah. I mean, and we all know she's an incredible vocalist. You can't really deny that. Yeah. What was the tour like when you did the tour? Was that a blast? Yes. It was the best part of the entire idol experience for sure, because there were no judges, you know, there were no, like criticism or judgment. You just literally felt like you were in this room of like hugs that just like welcomed you and like rooted for you. And like even being in Chicago for my, for like my hometown, it felt like the most beautiful, loving, joyful experience to have all these people here and care enough to pay the ticket price, right. To come see us like just, you know, a bunch of kids off of a reality show, 30 cities in 40 days. It was just it was incredible. It was the best time ever. Were there a lot of hijinks on the road, pranks? Like, what do you remember about the bus and the hotels and who did you hang uh, out with? And the, what was it I like? Mean, I mean, it was just a lot of, I mean, there were more hookups than hijinks. Oh, anything. who were the hookups? I mean, like me and RJ, a lot of the time. I mean, that was pretty much. Multiple hookups. Just with him and I. Yeah. You know? Right I mean, on. I was just like, I was like, you're cute, you know, and I think we were just like attracted to each other. So it just kind of happened a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but you, you just, but it was a, never a full on romance. It was just kind of like a, uh, oh, on the road thing. Was, yeah, totally. I mean, like we get like these tiny little cubby holes and like this like curtain that you'd pull to close. So and, this would like, happen on the bus. I feel like this is a big yeah. scoop. Thank you. I mean, I guess I, yeah. I, I look and I'm like, it was just so, it was so, I don't know, just young. And I don't know. It was, it was cute. So. Yeah. Like I look at those pictures and I can't believe how, how young you are. What's interesting though, is what struck me is we have a lot of gay people on reality shows now and contestants yeah. and it's much more accepting. Like I'm a fan of, so you think you can dance. And there was a time like early on, even to the middle of that run where effeminate guys were not embraced that you could yeah. tell that the judges like Nigel, especially was totally. like butch it up guy, you know, like he didn't say yeah. it, but you could feel it. Yeah. What was that world like in terms of being gay at, at Idol? I, I mean, it never, it was never, it was never, um, expressly 
presented, but how did it feel? Did you feel like, oh gosh, I, I need to not dance the way I'm dancing or whatever it is? Did you feel yeah. um, like you were under a microscope? I was very aware of my mannerisms. I, right. I, and it, it was not done by anyone that, that told me how to be or how to act. It was purely like, okay, Jim, like if you want to make it far, like I remember thinking this, like you need to pull it back. Like don't be super girly, super effeminate. Watch where your tone is when you're speaking on camera. Yes. I was very aware of all of those things because I, I didn't want it to hurt my chances. I didn't want it to be... Because I was already getting gay bashed through the message boards on Fox anyway. So I just knew that people were already pegging me as that. I didn't need to push it any further. Yeah. And I just didn't want it. I wanted to just be, you know, looked at as just a contestant. And so I was very aware of those things. And it was really hard because, again, you're you're pulling parts of yourself out of yourself. And yeah. you're basically saying you can't be this person. So you need to be someone else for right. the time being. Right. And then sometimes it just sticks. Yeah. And you, you lose those parts. You know what I mean? Oof. Yeah. I, and I think growing up, we do it. Even if we're not performers, it's like, I can't hold my books this way. I walk like no. this. I need to sit like this. Or if no. I go to the movies, I need to have a chair between me and the other guy. Like these are things we've been doing training for four years. So some of it's just automatic. You're just like, Oh, I, I need to, I need to watch my hands. I need to like, I need to lower my voice. It's like, becomes almost like this thing. Uh, but I could, could imagine in a situation like that being hyper vigilant of like, Oh, I've got to, I've got to watch it. You know, I've got to. And I was also bullied when I was like 14, 13 years old. So I already had that. I mean, I was a gymnast for seven years and I loved it. It was like, I, I, Loved it with a passion. And so when I started to get bashed for it in school, because I was the mascot in junior high, the entire, the entire student body were literally sitting in bleachers as I was tumbling across the gym floor. And I could literally hear the words faggot screamed to me while I was immediately, I was like, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. So I hate that I let them take that away from me because gymnastics was something that I loved so, so deeply. And I still do. Um, but that trauma immediately triggered my weight gain because I wanted to hide it. It changed the way I dressed. You know, I started to wear those big baggy Jinko jeans back in the day because I yeah. wanted to hide and fit in. And, and, you know, I even like forced myself to listen to like Q101, which was like, you know, Nirvana and, you know, garage rock bands and, Smashing Pumpkins, when that wasn't really even what I wanted to listen to. Right. I just ended up, the trauma started at such an early age that like, you almost don't feel it after a while because you're used to it and you just adjust, but it's not an adjustment. It's a full on acceptance or really an unacceptance of who you really are. Right. And your body keeps the score, as they say, when it comes to things like that, that happen to you and you just carry it with you. Um, at the time, there was no Twitter, Facebook. That hadn't happened yet with with no. Idol. And yet, in our past interviews, I was looking back on them. You talked about getting bullied about Idol. Like, they would post things. They would write letters. Like, it's not yeah. as easy as sending a tweet. They actually had to work. You had to find <laughs> sites to criticize people. Like, you had to search them out. Which but, is really but people bad. would do it. What was the yeah. ratio 
of positive to negative? Was it was it like okay, there were some bullies, but there were some nice people too, or what it was probably, it like? I don't know. I think it, in moments it felt it depended on my confidence level right. of the day. Um, sometimes it felt every one to four. Sometimes it was half. You know, I think I just got to the point where like I couldn't bring myself to do it anymore because all I wanted to do was defend myself and say, you don't even fucking know me. You don't yeah. have any fucking clue who I am. You've never met me. You're making all of these judgments based on what you think you know. Right. And it just, it got to a point where I was just like, I can't read these anymore. Cause yeah. like it was so destructive. There are still bullies out there now, and there's a lot yeah. of fucked up things happening in our politics for sure. But in a lot of ways, it's so much better for somebody that would have been in your position today. And when you look at that, do you feel connected to it? Like, I helped bring this change. I didn't necessarily benefit from it, but I I was a part of positive uh, forward motion. Do you feel that? Um, I don't really know. I guess I... I guess I feel it when people tell me that. Right. And I, just, and I think at the time I wasn't thinking that I think I, I think it, I just wanted to do what was right rather than be selfish and focus on having a career or at least a career that was mainstream at the time. Yeah. I guess I, it's funny. The funny thing about trailblazers is that they are often not given the credit Sometimes when credit is due, it's hard to be I, the first one. Um, it's really hard to be the first one. And, and I, you were and the think, first idol contestant to come out. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I hope that I am a part of someone that decided to be openly, you know, themselves or in some competition, in some way of life, in their job, with their families. You know, I hope that I I helped in some way, but I. I guess I don't think of myself as like this, you know, this, this trailblazer. I just did what I thought was best at the time. You yeah. know what I mean? Were there ever moments when you're like, wow, I shouldn't have been so true to myself. Cause when I think oh, yeah. about my life, you know, I, uh, I, I think I'll be able to, when it's all done, go, you know what? I was true to myself. I really was. That's something I'm really proud of. I think yeah. I'll be able to, to do that. I won't have anything to leave behind for anybody, but I did that. Do you have, were there ever moments when you're like, Ooh, Shouldn't have been so true to myself. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I think a part of me is like, I'm so thrilled with where our community is in terms of, you know, just having visibility in terms of, you know, TV and, and film and, um, and music. But like, for example, you know, Troy Savon, he came onto the scene 10 years after I came out, you yeah. know? And so I looked to myself and I'm like, God, why didn't I just say nothing or why? I wish it just, I, I think I was just too far ahead where it just couldn't have aligned. And then I look at, you know, casts like the show Hacks, which I love that fucking show so right, much. Right, it's the best. And so many people on that show are queer. And I look at that and I'm like, damn, like not only is that like a brilliant show and one that I would have died to do. And then I think about the movies that I did, like Eating Out and Eating Out 2 and another gay sequel and... Those were like for the time, again, 2005, you know, time, these weren't Oscar nominated or Oscar worthy films, but they didn't need to be. They were, they were a moment and like a beacon of light, I think, for queer youth to look at queer moments that were representative. And I think we forget about those movies as, as, you know, as campy as they were, 
I'm very proud to be a part of those films because I think that those really truly served a purpose. So, you know, and now it's like, we've got fire Island, you know, winning nominations and, you know, shows on Netflix, like glamorous with Kim Cattrall and we've got trans representation and Kim Petras winning a Grammy with Sam Smith. It's like, these are incredible historic moments. And yeah. I just get those moments like, you know what? Fuck yes. Like more of this all day long, you know? I look at people like Matt Rogers and Joel Kim Booster and yeah. Bowen Yang. Yeah. They're getting like Netflix, NBC, Saturday Night Live money. They've got the houses. Oh, yes. Like, yes. I'm yes. like, yes. Back Amazing. in the day, you could make, there could maybe be one person like that that got a, you know, and, but that was it. And everyone else was doing the indie thing or the, you know, the, the, the gay film festival circuit, you know, it was, it was, there was not as much, uh, in the mainstream that you see, like you see today. Um, but I'm so grateful that there is now. I'll tell you what, when you look back at the idle times, does it feel like a million years ago or does it feel like yesterday? No, it feels very, it feels like a different person. It feels, you know, it, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't, especially when I meet up with people, like I saw RJ a couple of years ago, Christina, she came to my wedding and then she, we took her son to University of Chicago for um, a summer program just um, back in June of this year. And so her and I just like, it just feels like no time has passed when I'm with them in person. Yeah. Christina was in the uh, top 10 with you, right? Yeah, she was like, yeah, she was like sixth. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Um, so I love that, you know, we still have those relationships, but in a lot of ways, I look back and I'm like, why did I do this? And why did I handle it like this? And then I have to, have to sort of give myself some grace and say, you did the best at the time with what you knew because no one prepares you to go through this and be an openly gay youth on top of it. Like you did what you knew you, you tried to, to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. I looked back, I went and read our interviews that we did in 2005. I was like, man, this guy had balls to come out that way and be, and be who you were at that time. You could have played it safe and, and totally. tested the waters. Ricky Martin wasn't out yet. I don't know when George Michael came out. Maybe not even, you know, like, uh, um, you didn't have really anybody I can think of at that time who was like an openly gay pop singer. I yeah. just can't think of one. But you did it. And did you hear from fans that that made a difference too? Did you hear from young oh, gay yeah. people? Like, you, how would they express themselves? Because there wasn't social like media. Even, even like now, that still happens, you know, especially yeah. with this new release. Because the song just came out today, and there were people that are just like, "I followed you for twenty years." I'm like, I've been doing nothing for 12 of them. So like, what were you looking at? You know, your but, wedding for starters, beautiful pictures. I, yeah. Yes. I mean, people just want to stay connected because it's almost like they all knew before I did that they were like, well, we knew you were going to come back in some way. Like we knew you weren't done yet. Or, you know, you made such a, an impact on, you know, on queer youth and to see you now, you know, in a, in like a happy and, healthy, positive relationship. And sometimes it's still nice to see and, and connect with. So it's, it's, it's wonderful when I hear those things. I, you know, it sort of makes me think like, really? Like, but okay. Um, I appreciate it. So it's very, it makes me feel very, very good. And it's sort of like a, an inspiring, um, feeling to keep going and maybe pursue this a little harder. You know, what was it like to step back in front of the microphone? How did that feel? Um, it felt really good, actually. Like, I was just like, oh, 
I remember why I used to love this. And I think it's different in so many ways because like Dennis, I I've got a job, right? I've got a career. I love what I do. I love this company I work for. Right. There's, but you're probably on like Slack and stuff. You have all of that kind of a life. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and I, and I think that it is very good to have that part of my life, but also I'm 40 years old now. I feel like, I can kind of say and do things a little bit more freely than I could when I was 23 and I was putting together an album and I was like, what's, what's my vision? What's my vibe? What am I trying to say as an artist? Do I have a hit? You know, is there a pop hit somewhere that could go viral and, or, you know, even try to get placed in like a movie soundtrack where it's like, now I don't care. Like none of that. Right. The stakes, the stakes don't seem so high. Oh, I'm just like, I just truly loved it. And it was fun, you know? And it's like, of course I would appreciate, you know, if people magazine put me on the cover. Yeah. Of course I would love that. You know, they did it for clay and, you know, so that's right. But you know, at the end of the day, this for me and the whole reason why I wanted to do this song was again, it was that pilot light that was just kind of burning and it was just like, Hey, let's, let's see what happens. You know? Yeah. Well, no I think it's so cool that you did that. Um, after you had come out, but you would be around other people that hadn't, was it a weird vibe? Like, cause sometimes I, I would feel, I've seen that with actors where the, the people that are still in the closet don't want to get too close. I don't know. Oh, sure. Did you feel that from other people that were like, Oh, don't get any of that on me. I'm, I'm playing a different game. I don't think so. I don't, yeah. I don't remember kind of experiencing that. I think that, um, that may have been the case for other people, but even when I was on the show, I never had that. I mean, people loved, I mean, I was very open on the show. Like I would talk about guys very openly. Everyone knew. So it wasn't like, um, problematic at all. So no, I never really got that. Vibe. That's awesome. That's good. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. That would have made for a whole other <laughs> therapy session. So, yeah. you know, what was the moment from Idol that you wish you could go back and relive because it was just so rich? Or was there, what was the peak moment that was like peak phenomenon, feel good, wow moment? Um, it was probably, um, I had just made the top 10 and then they immediately took me to Myra and Ryan Starr into like a press room and TV guide was like, Oh, we're shooting the cover of TV guide right now. And I was like, what? And so literally that was, and and when you're in the moment, you're not really thinking and truly processing what just happens. Yeah. Cause you're in this bubble. You feel like you're in a bubble Um, studios and living in a, you know, at the Limeridian hotel. And you're just, you're very like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then it, it hits the stands. And I remember being in a Ralph's, um, in the Valley and I saw it. And I was like, that is so weird. So I picked it up and I put it on the conveyor belt and the cashier like looks at the TV guide and she looks at me and she's like, huh, is that you? And I was like, yeah, she's like, good for you. And like, it was as if like a lot of people buy their own <laughs> magazines apparently, but it was just like so surreal. And then you realize, oh, this isn't just in this Ralph's. This TV guide is like, everywhere. Right. And then your mind starts to be like, 
oh my God, like this is a bigger thing than I think you can process right now, you know? Yeah. And TV Guide was the biggest magazine in the world at the time. Like I remember I I got to write a bit for them and I did the cover story on Will and Grace and that feeling of like, when I was a kid and I would get the TV Guide, I would highlight things that I wanted to watch, especially that fall preview. Like it's it's like the height of pop culture. The Uh, TV Bible. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, what was the cover? Was it all of you guys, or was it a it few was, of you? It was me, Tamira, and Ryan Starr, the three of us, and we were on the cover of TV Guide. Wow. So, not the other ones. Sorry, Kelly. Not this we, week. Yep. We had just won the first time. I think we were the second round of top ten contestants. So, the three of us had won, and then they just pulled us, and we just shot the cover. It was just crazy. I was wow. like, okay. Did the other idols resent you for being on the cover of TV Guide? Oh, because they got to be old, like in old Navy commercials later, and I didn't get to be a part of those. So oh. I was like, well, you made your money there, so you're good. You there, so you're good. It worked out. It all balanced out. First of all, I love any anecdote that starts, I was in a Ralph's in the Valley. So, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the title of my album if I do do a full <laughs> album. Yeah. I think you should do a full album. I think you I absolutely mean, should. And if you get me funding, I will consider it. What's it been like today? It's your single dropping day, and yet you're also working, right? So you've got yeah. these two things going on. Uh, um, you know what? I I think at first, the first sort of um, feedback has been very lovely um, and very positive. And so that's been really, really wonderful. You know, it's it's been a long time. And like you had said before, the scope of music, the industry, the landscape is just... It's so different, you know, and it's really hard to make money. And, you know, you hope that other opportunities sort of happen to you to support the music part of it, because that's kind of how I think it sort of happens naturally. But um, it's been really nice. It's nice to hear people be like, oh, I'm, you know, he's back. And it's like, oh, like, it's just one song. So let's <laughs> like, just calm down. Um, we're not right. there yet. But I still love, I love the affirmations. I love the positive feedback. So it's been really nice, you know, and it also helps that I just posted a picture of me in a jockstrap on Twitter. So, you know, so there helps. you go. What's it like? To, what's it like to do that? How does it feel to do that? Um, I, well, when we were doing the shoot for the single, I had sort of had this like v- vision of vignettes in the space that we shot out. So we shot at this really great bar yeah. called beauty bar in Chicago. And it's a very like, night it's night for the the very theme focus like they'll do like 90s night they'll do like y2k night and it's like one of the busiest most popular bars because it's actually like a dance club right Uh, and it's got a great kind of glittery walled space and you know lots of fun bright colors that are you know going on and so it was a great space for us to shoot and i wanted something really dirty and like gritty and so in their in their restrooms it's just stickered out wall to wall, you know, and it just looks, it makes for a really, a really cool shot. And I'd never really done it like a photo shoot in a jockstrap, to be honest. And I thought to myself, I'm hitting like on those photos on my Instagram feed anyway. So I'm just like, what, how would you feel like if you just wore it and you slipped this into like, you know, your, your marketing. And I just thought, you know what, do it. Like if it makes you feel good and I think it was empowering, honestly, because I just feel like I'd never done it. But then I understood sort of the power, I think, behind owning your body, owning your sexuality, and being very vulnerable at the same time. And so I think, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I was just like, oh, 
I get it. But also we over-sexualize things in, in, I think, this country anyway. Right. It's just an ass. Like, let's not lose our shit. Like, it's just an ass. Like, you're, you will be fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's not the end of the world. Um, no. But good for you. You know what? Uh, do your thing. I support it. Not. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, do you have a sweet Paula Abdul story that might make me smile? Oh. God, I love I, the face I, you just made. You love her. No, I just, I just love her. Like, I just, I don't even, I invited her to our wedding and I texted her and I was like, Hey honey, like, can you send me your address? I want to send you, you know, our wedding. invitation." she's like, Oh my God, yes. You know, like obviously I sent it to her. And then like, I remember when she did that amazing billboard performance when she did like a medley of her songs. Do you remember like, that? Was like a yes. She's like bringing it the last few Amazing. years for a while. I think her back was messed up or whatever. And oh, I'm God. like, she's doing she full on cold hearted choreography. Unreal. I texted her the next day and I'm like, you blow me away. Yes. Like, that, I'm like last night was unreal. And she was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Like Christina was in town. We both sent her a selfie and we're like, we miss you. She always texts me back. So I really would love to ask her to do a TikTok actually to the song. I feel like she'd be really good at choreographing something like that. But and um, she's doing stuff. She pops up on totally. Brando Instos. She's, oh, she's the best human on the face of the planet. I just, she's just the realist. She, I will never forget. Like she bought my album when it came out, Roller Coaster. She had it in her dressing room when I came to like see. I think it was like I was like a season two. Maybe I'd stop by and said hi. She's just the real deal. She is the kindest human and I just love her and I will root for her forever. I text her every year on her birthday, you know, so she might think some <laughs> annoying, but like she's just been, I don't know, just loving and kind forever. That makes me so happy to hear because when I see uh, her pop up in my feeds and she's doing full on cold hearted choreography, like in a Thanksgiving parade, I'm like, yes. Cause we didn't think we, I think she was hurt for a long time. We didn't think we were uh, going to get that. No, um, she's not. It's funny as you get older, like people that used to like kind of make fun of, or like, you know, Paula was kind of daffy at times on idol or whatever. And now I'm just like, she's a national treasure. <laughs> well, literally, I mean, if, if Brittany can get through this time, you yes. know, I feel, you know, yes. which I think is, we should really not, you know, kind of judge her cause we don't know what her life is, but you know, we were so hard on Paula for a long time. You know, people were like, Oh, she has an alcohol problem. And I remember being called to like on like an MSNBC, like I, they like drove me to Chicago and I had to like speak on this panel on MSNBC about how Paula was actually not a drinker and she never like drank around us and was kind. And I literally came to her defense because I was like, you're all crazy. This is not happening. It's not true. I can fully attest to that. Yeah. Uh, we were very hard on her. And it's just funny how mental health has truly played such a huge part in the awareness of, of people's struggles. Also like post pandemic, I think has been a major, major yeah. thing. Well, also like back then part of the uh, idol appeal was Simon and he's brutally honest and like, I yeah. that shit wouldn't fly anymore. You couldn't be that mean. You could, no. you know, but at the time that was kind of the hook. Um, what was he That's like? What's your relationship um, like with him? You know, I don't know. I mean, he wrote a book. I don't know if you know this. I don't. Um, okay. So he, I don't remember what year it came out, but he wrote about me like almost like kind of oddly a lot in it. And so I was like, okay. Um, he called me a cult leader in the book. What he cult? Said, I, don't, I don't know, but she was, he said something like Jim had every single person wrapped around his finger and he knew it. Something to that effect. 
I remembered that part of it. And I was like, why are you so obsessed with me? Number one. Um, and number two, that was not how I like envisioned it. In fact, I just was warm and friendly to everyone because I don't know. I was just grateful to be there and grateful to have the opportunity. But there was a moment, I think when we were in Pasadena, well, Hollywood, sorry, Pasadena. Yeah. And he was smoking his menthol cools. And I was, I think I was smoking at that point too. Um, and we were both like sharing a cigarette, not like sharing it together, but each right. smoking. You were each smoking. I think sometimes I'm jealous of smokers bonding because I feel like no. they have that they time. It's weird. And so I remember that Simon had his mic on and I was like, don't say a damn thing. Like, do not say a damn thing. Yeah. But he was like, you know, Jim, you need to, you need to step it up. I know you can do this. Like, don't half-ass this. And I was like, okay, I will, I will give you my all. And it was a very weird kind of encounter and it was fine. And then, you know, other than that, he was just like, oh, he made this comment about in the book, he said something about, oh, I saw Jim, you know, a few years later and he said, oh, Simon, I've come out. And he was like, you came out the minute you opened your mouth, like a purse fell out of it or something. I don't know. He was just, he made some really funny remark about that. And I was like, oh, that's not very nice. Cause <laughs> you know, he just, was it, that was a, that would be that would probably not fly you know like right now right but, he just you know, made that he didn't make that on TV he made that too oh, interpersonally he, yeah he like you know, he like wrote it like yeah he was just very like you know but whatever if I were to see Simon today I would hug him and be like how are you how is life you know yeah. I don't have any I mean it's been so long I'd be like who cares you know yeah Seacrest he doesn't seem like a person to me he seems like a host. Like, he doesn't seem like he has a home and goes to the movies, but of course he must, right? I, I just feel like Ryan Seacrest has been, and I didn't have a, like a good, like I didn't have a good nor bad. It was just sort of, he was just there. Right. You know, He's I, just a host person. He doesn't yeah. seem like a person that has lunch. I think he's his personal life, like very personal. Yeah. Like, Ryan Dunkelman and I are still, like, we still talk to this day. That's like, cool. Brian, the one that, like, invited us after a show taping to go to his house and watch it. Like Brian Dunkelman was the man that we all like truly, truly loved because he was kind and funny and real. Like when things were shitty, like he spoke about them, you know, he was just, I just love him. Like I still love him to this day. Um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see his documentary, but you should watch that. Yeah, uh, no, I'll I, check it out. Yeah. Like, but um, yeah, I just felt like I had connected more with, with Brian, Ryan was nice enough. Ryan was, he invited me to do his, remember he had his talk show um, yeah. for there. So I was like a correspondent, I think for one episode. So it was, it was nice to like have me on. And I think um, Dean Banowitz, who used to do our hair on idol also did Ryan Seacrest hair on um, idol. So he continued to work with him. And so Dean was kind of the person I was like, Hey, you know, would you mind having Jim as a correspondent, you know, on the show? So that was really nice. Um, but I think, I think Ryan has become this business where he's like too big to fail. You know what I mean? So it's like, he just has so much going on that I think he's always on. Right. And very protective. So yeah. I just feel like it's not really like a human, not in a no, bad way. No, he doesn't way. feel like a person. I don't, yeah. He doesn't feel like somebody that saw Barbie or Oppenheimer. It feels like no. he was probably hosting some show or something. Right. Like he's just, a, he's just like a robot. Just like <laughs> That's what he feels <laughs> like. So, all yeah. right. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, uh, backed that up. So tell people how they can listen to your music. It's everywhere. Your, your new song. Yeah. Your new it's song everywhere, is everywhere. All platforms like TikTok. If you want to, you know, play it on TikTok, Instagram, it's on Spotify, Tidal, iTunes. It is everywhere. So, 
I hope you love it. It's my first song in 12 years. So be kind. <laughs> I love that you do that though. Aren't you glad? How does it, yeah. aren't you glad you've done it? It feels good because I couldn't, you know, get to 50 and be like, why did you not do this, Jim? Don't like you were dumb, you know? So it right. feels like I did it, you know? And 40 to me seems super young. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you that's, want. That's kind of what it feels like is that, you know, as much as I would love to have the financial support of a label, sure. you know, and be a choice of on and, you know, and do big things. Cause I, I love him. And I think he's amazing. I think that there's also like a part of your soul <laughs> that you don't have to like, you have to kind of give yeah. because with financial support comes money that you have to pay back with, yeah. your, with your investment. So, you know, it's kind of like, what is the trade-off, you know, right. the, the massive PR and the massive, you know, campaigns and all of that, or your freedom, you know? Yeah. Do you have any souvenirs from idol? Did you keep any, do you have a Coke glass? Um, oh, any that's... like pleather pants from that opening season? <laughs> I don't think I, no, I don't think I have those. I mean, there's, there's probably like a lot of photos I have, like real, like actual, like, you know, when photos were a thing. Yeah. Um, and like placards from like being, you know, talent from getting backstage on like the finale, like little things like that. I still have. Yeah. That's fun. I love that. Um, yeah. So before I let you go, here's my sort of final thought. I went yes. back and read the interviews that we did back in the day and yeah. you were quite young. You were in this new world, you know, doing the best you can. But I, it struck me that you were wise in a way or that you kind of understood big picture things related to integrity, relating to being true to yourself like that. You, you had quotes like that, but they felt like that was true and who you were. Where did that sort of strength within yourself come from? You have to understand, I, I grew up very quickly because when you have deaf parents, I was very much, I think, utilized as an interpreter. So in some ways, I'm, I'm very grateful that I had the exposure to adults at a very young age. But I also think in some ways, my parents may have sort of seen an opportunity to take advantage because they knew I could do it. I was accessible. I was there because it's a lot easier to rely on your child than it is to hope and cross your fingers that whatever, you know, doctor, lawyer is following the Americans with Disabilities Act and requires you to provide an interpreter to deaf people. So because of that and growing up around adults so early on, I think that I knew how to be a certain way right? and grow up much quicker than most children my age. I didn't even, I didn't really have... I had friends, but I, I, I would always find myself talking to my friend's parents. I would right. always be one in the kitchen, just like talking to like my, my, my buddy's mom, because I think, Hey, I didn't have it that easy with my own mother where I could just talk to her right, or have a phone with her. You know, it was a lot more complicated. It was when, you know, the, the relay center, you'd have to talk to an operator and then that operator would type on a TTY and then they would type to my mother. So it'd be like this three way that you really didn't want to be a part of. Right. And so, you know, I think I always try to find connection with adults. And so I think that just played off of how I grew up, you know? Right. You had a sense of what kind of adult you wanted to be and you were long before you were an adult. Yeah. And so I think I just grew up fast because I, I didn't know any better. I didn't know any different. Well, I admire you. I think you're cool. I'm glad you're making music again. I'm glad we got to reconnect. 
Oh, this um, is very, very nice because you're a big part of my, you know, my younger years. And I love that you gave me this opportunity and I appreciate everything that you're doing. And, you know, you inspire other people too. So <laughs> I'm touched true. that you remember me. Honest to God, Jim, I'm touched that you remember know. me. I'm touched that when you, you called to, to change the time today, your name came up in my phone. I was like, we must have talked when we had cell phones. That's totally. the, in 2005. Did I even, what did I have? I might've had a flip. I think I had you a big, did. long, crazy thing. Time is weird. Time is, is weird. weird. Well, and it's like I talked to you and I'm like, you are still the, the kind, wonderful man that I remember. And I just, I appreciate you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Well, you have to come to LA and you have to make more music and, um, it'll be all good. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Jim Vararos. Listen to his song, Take My Bow, wherever you listen to music. All right, so this happened. We went to Palm Springs and did the mismatch game at a club called Oscars. It happened uh, on Wednesday the 13th. Um, they wanted us kind of midweek kind of show. They wanted to try it out. And we had done a show of mismatch game in about 2005, like 18 years ago in Palm Springs. And it was fun, but not a lot of people showed up. So it was kind of like, mm, that didn't really work out, but it was, it was kind of fun. But, uh, when this opportunity came up, I was like, let's see if we can make this work. And, you know, you're always wary with a new place and a Wednesday night. And long story short, it couldn't have gone better. It couldn't have gone better, you guys. Um, the, the club treated us great. They, uh, were perfectly suited for the kind of show that it was. It was well laid out. The slides worked. I brought my slides. We had slides to go with it. And listen to this cast. We had Jackie Beat as B. Arthur, Nadia Ginsburg as Cher, Danny Casillas as Reba Ariba, Mark Samuel was Morgan Freeman. We had Tom Lank as Zoe Deschanel. And Patrick Bristow, who many of you know from Ellen and Showgirls, he's Thrust It, Thrust It. He lives in Palm Springs now. He hasn't done the mismatch game in a long time. But he was able to do the show as Nancy Culp from the Beverly Hillbillies. I know, it's a deep cut. But man, it was hilarious. And it was so nice to have him in the mix again. So, long story short, the Palm Springs thing went great. And hopefully we will be doing it again. Because... um, it was just a win-win-win for everybody, and I love going out there. Oh, and here's something else that's cool about it. We we pretty much sold out. Like, the place was packed, and I had a lot of people that I knew in Palm Springs, friends of mine that had moved out there or that were visiting, they came out and supported us. And afterwards, there were people that I'd never met that were like, you have to come back. So it looks like we may be going back, and they talked about doing it outside in the courtyard. Uh, anyway, it's exciting. The Palm Springs uh, gambit was a, a big hit, so... I'm really excited about that. All right, that's enough for this week. I want to give a shout-out to AJ Souza for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye!